episode of the Internal Comms Podcast is brought to you by Acid Test, AB's unique and powerful tool for aligning organisations around a common cause. Now, we all know communication does not equal understanding. If it did, well, our jobs would be a lot easier. The acid test of internal communication is whether there is shared understanding. Is the goal clear? Are we all pulling in the same direction? Do we share the same priorities, the same purpose? Acid test is a powerful tool that reveals knowledge gaps inside organisations. Its unique and proven methodology gives you the insight and information you need to drive performance by creating deeper understanding and alignment. Now, listeners, you know how fond I am of asking open, probing questions that hopefully reveal fresh and genuine insight. Acid test is not a tick box survey. Instead, the method is a message. Simply taking part in acid test makes employees feel heard, understood and valued. Visit abcom, abcowm.co.uk forward slash acid test to find out more. Download a PDF to discuss with your team and arrange an informal call to discuss acid test with me and my AB colleagues. So that address again for you, abcom, abcowm.co.uk forward slash acid test. Now is the time to take a privileged peek inside the mind of your organisation by asking the questions that matter. Acid test, a communications audit without the autocomplete. Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Listeners, my aim with this show is to bring you great ideas, useful tactics and smart thinking. And if I'm really lucky, well, you know, maybe one or two laughs along the way. Well, I have all that for you in bucket loads in this episode. Steve Crescenzo has spent decades working alongside and training thousands of IC professionals. But his passion for what we do and what we still need to achieve inside our organisations is as strong as ever. And I would also add completely infectious. Steve is on a mission to take the corporate out of corporate communications. He wants us to do less, but do it better. Too often, he says, we are writing for the approver not the reader. So if you want practical, no-nonsense advice on how to produce more creative, compelling content, how to push back on bad ideas, how to get headline-grabbing quotes from every interview, and earn the respect of senior stakeholders, you are in the right place. Grab a coffee, sit back, and enjoy the warmth and wisdom of Steve Crescenzo. So, Steve, what a pleasure to have you on the show. I feel like you should have been on 
quite a while ago because you are a very well-known name in internal comms. But thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you, Katie. I, I, I have felt a bit snubbed um, not being invited, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, but I'm here now, and that's all that matters, and I appreciate it. No, I'm kidding, of course. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. Thank you for being here. Now, I'm going to start, if it's okay, fairly near the beginning because... In some ways, you had quite a traditional route into internal communications because you have a BA in journalism. And I wonder if we could sort of go back to those early days. What attracted you initially to journalism? And as a boy growing up, was there ever anything else that you wanted to be? I, you know, I, I was a bit of a late bloomer, Katie. I, um, I wasn't one of those kids coming out of high school that knew what I wanted to be. My, my, my son is in Purdue College right now. He's in his senior year. And one of his roommates, a really great kid, freshman year, he went into supply chain management. Like that, he knew he wanted to be in supply. Who the hell knows they want to be in supply chain management at the age of 18? But that's what he's always known. And he's going to graduate. He's going to get a great job. It's a great field. My son is more like me. He's kind of trying to figure it out. When I went away to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. In fact, I just know I wanted to party. And uh, that showed in my grades. In fact... <laughs> I had a I had a terrible roommate who was my best friend and still is my best friend, but he's a terrible college roommate. I once hitchhiked home because on the weekends to get to work to make some money, I was going to work construction to make some money. And when I came home, he had sold my clock radio and my refrigerator for a bag of marijuana. Oh, no. like, yeah, it was like some sort of weird Jack sock, Jack of the Beanstalk type weird thing. Like, um, so I lasted one semester <laughs> there. Came back home to Chicago, worked a couple odd jobs, but worked about 35 odd jobs, to be honest. I, everything from loading trucks to working in a factory to working at the stock exchange. And then I went back up there um, to college. And this time I ended up at the community college down the road from my original college because I had flunked out of the first college and they wouldn't let me back in. So I ended up at the community college and I signed up to work for the school paper. And I always kind of liked to write, but I wasn't much of a writer in high school. And I started writing a column for the, the college paper, for the community college paper, and became the editor. And then we won the best community college paper in the state. And that kind of propelled me into back into Chicago to Columbia College, which has an excellent journalism program. And there I wrote for the magazine. I wrote for, I, I had another column in the newspaper that was wildly popular and controversial and just loved it. I loved the writing part of it. I loved interviewing people. I loved the whole journalism part of it. Went right straight out of there to Reagan Communications, publishers of the Reagan Report and all sorts of newsletters. And Mark Reagan was the owner, former journalist. He hired former journalists. And um, from there, you know, started writing for all the newsletters, started launching newsletters, got involved in the whole employee communications field, which I fell in love with. He later had me speak at his conferences. He put me on the road to do seminars. And from there, I just went off on my own to, to do what I do now, which is consulting and training and still a lot of writing in the field. So. Did I ever want to be anything else? I guess the only thing I would rather be doing would still be writing, but it'd be writing my own stuff, writing for travel, being a travel writer, a food writer, just a general writer about you know, like a Dave Barry humorous writer, that sort of thing. So I still have that in the back of my head. That's still part of my dream. I'm, I'm going to get there one day. Not quite yet, though. Was there a, a lesson that you learned in those early days of kind of honing your craft as a journalist? that you still draw on today? Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. I would say I've had to pick one. It's especially one that applies to employee communications or corporate communications. It's don't bury the lead. 
uh, <laughs> corporate writers have a big habit of writing these long, thumb-sucking, three-paragraph leads that have nothing to do with the story. They're just talking about how great the company is, you know, in an ongoing effort. It's my least favorite phrase. In an ongoing effort to provide you with the blah, 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 or to become the world's leading global solutions provider in blah, 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 blah. And then in about the fourth paragraph, you get the news. Uh, when I edit my client's copy, the first thing I do is lop off the first two paragraphs or so because it's just, it's all the boilerplate stuff. So don't bury the leader, don't bury the news. Make sure if you're going to use a quote, that that quote is good enough to fight its way into the story. Don't just put wiggly marks around, you know, some VP's words because you need to have a VP quoted in the story. And all he does is repeat what's already been said or, you know, you make up the quote. So I always work with hard with my clients to say, you know what? If we don't get a good quote, it doesn't have to have a quote. We don't have to have a quote in the story. I'd rather have no quote than a bad quote. And how do you get good quotes? By actually talking to people. And that's one of the things that enrages me about so many corporate writers is that they're writing off PowerPoint decks. They're writing off other papers. They're writing. They're doing email interviews. They're not going to see people. They're not picking up the phone. And as a journalist, that's where all the color comes from. That's where all the personality comes from. That's where the drama comes from, the passion, the emotion, the humanity. It comes from actually talking to people. And we just don't do enough of that. And it drives me crazy. That is music to my ears. I have a whole team of writers and I want that whole floor of my office to be empty because I want those people out, out. walking the corridors, as you say, sitting down with people and getting the story firsthand. And I, and it's it's so hard to get those quotes any other way because people have to feel their shoulders drop, I think, to actually start telling you a story. You know, that old trick of putting the pen down at the end when it's supposed to signify we're off the record. Like, right, 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 right. Putting the pen down or turning the, kit, the recorder off and then that's exactly. where all the good stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. And then you say, wow, you know, that must have been an amazing experience. And they say, yeah. And you know what? And all of a sudden, after an hour, they've given you the first line of the story. <laughs> but so, it's right. Taken so right. I love it, Katie. I, in my writing seminars, I say there's a four stages, you know, and you got to dig. The first stage, they just they just don't even want to talk. <laughs> a lot of them, they're just you know shy or just awkward, and they feel like they're being interviewed by the media. Uh, the second stage, they start to open up a little bit, but they just give you all the corporate boilerplate. Third stage, if you're good and you keep pressing, you know they start to open up a little bit, but it's that that last question, which is, and how did that make you feel? Did, were you proud that day when you went home and told your spouse or your kids? Did you? What was your biggest fear about that? What 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 kept you up at night? That last question is where you get the quotes. And we don't get to that last question enough. And that's what makes quotes. So I would say, you know, don't bury the lead is number one and get a great quote is number two, or don't use a quote at all. So this is one of my favorite questions that I like to ask people like you who have trained and advised internal communications professionals for many years. And in your instance, many, many years, 25 years or more. What consistently delights you about working with IC professionals? And conversely, the opposite. What is your perhaps most common frustration about us? Well, I would say what I love the most. And, you know, I'm, I'm an internal communicator with all my heart. I love it. I love the people. I love the tribe, for, to use a kind of a cliche now. I love it because, A, they're, they're, they're almost always great people. Katie, 25 years of doing this. I have so many good, good friends that were former clients, people I've vacationed with, that I've stayed in their home. They stayed in my home. We've gotten drunk. They're great friends, and they start out as clients. 
that just seems like internal comms draws a very good sort of people. And I, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm sure there's bad people out there too. Maybe it's because of who I am and the way I am very much of an open book about who I am. And maybe I just attract the right kind of client. I don't know, but I always end up being friends with them, always. So I think it's, they're really great people. And I love their creativity. I think that's what I like the most is that they're in there battling and they're in there, you know, doing their best, most of them. That's what I love the most. Uh, conversely, what frustrates me the most is that we're so often our own worst enemy. We are a profession that just lacks confidence. We are afraid to go talk to VPs. We're going to take up too much of their time. We're, we don't have enough confidence in ourselves. So what happens is we, we just sort of become all things to all people. And we end up getting the creativity that we came out of college with or that we have in our hearts. It just gets sucked out of us. I remember I was doing a writing seminar at Boeing for about 100 people. And I'm doing a writing seminar, headlines, leads, quotes, you know, structuring the story, you know, all the stuff I learned in journalism school. And I'm walking around the room during the breaks and I'm talking to all these people and I'm learning that they're all former journalists. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm screwed. This is way beneath them. And uh, so one guy, Bill, I think his name was Bill, he was the editor of like Aviation Week magazine or something for 20 years before he came to Boeing. So I'm like, oh, my God, he knows all this stuff. What am I, what am I telling him? And uh, he comes walking towards me at the end of the class. I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. He goes, Steve, I've been at Boeing for four years. This is by far the best training I've had. I said, well, that is, it means everything to me, but surely you had to know this. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew it. But being at Boeing for four years has sucked it out of me. Uh, and that's what happens with, with communicators. We, we let the corporate world suck the creativity out of us. We are afraid to say no to people. We are afraid to push back on a bad quote. I mean, I always say to people, push back on a bad quote. If somebody if somebody rewrites a quote that's terrible, push back on it. If somebody says something in the approval process that you don't agree with, and they want to add a paragraph of junk to the top of the story, push back. What we do is every bit as important as what they do. Communications today is a critical, critical function. And we're important and we matter. I feel like we should do that Stuart Smiley thing from Saturday Night Live where they love me and just reaffirm affirmations and it just drives me crazy. Then we go out to the bar at the conferences and we complain about how we get no respect. And a big part of wants to say, you're not earning any respect. You're not giving yourself any respect. And that drives me crazy because what we have to offer means a lot. And I'm very passionate about that. And I've gone to war with lawyers and HR people and IT people and I've gone to war with executives. You know, it's a consultant, but granted, it's a little easier for me. I don't have a job to keep, um, but I have to go in there and, and I and I try to encourage people to stand up and fight for themselves. So love the people, love their creativity, love what they want to do in their organizations and make a difference. Hate the fact that they're their own worst enemy because they just won't fight for themselves enough. A lot of them, some do. And the ones that do usually achieve greatness. Because I'm wondering whether marketeers, people who work in advertising, get that same meddling that we get. Do you think it's because everyone thinks that they're a great communicator or that they think it's obvious and easy and natural and so um, they don't respect the specialism? Is that part of it? I think that's a huge part of it. And first of, all, first of all, everyone thinks they're a writer. I would never go up to an architect and say, um, hey, can I take a crack at those blueprints for that suspension bridge that you're building? Because I did some cool shit with Lego when I was a kid. I built a whole, <laughs> I built a whole Hobbit village. Um, and so maybe I, I might have a knack for that. 
No, we would never do that. But they rewrite our headlines and they rewrite our leads and they rewrite our quotes and they mangle our prose. And it's because everyone thinks they're a writer. Everyone thinks they can do what we do. And they can't. But not just writing, but communication in general. It's not a, it's not a soft discipline. Uh, and I think hopefully later we can talk a little bit about COVID. I'm not sure. I think the one thing COVID has done is brought this out, the importance of communication and getting it right. So you're absolutely right, Katie. It's, it's everyone thinks they can do what we do. And we need to show them that they can't. Now, I've heard you say a few times in presentations that we have a key objective, which is to make the important interesting. And I really caught my ears and my eyes because I thought, oh, my goodness me, how often do we have to try to get something across that's incredibly important, but on the face of it, just a little bit dull? (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. Yes. Yes. We're not. We're not writing about, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're writing about safety and wellness and corporate initiatives and product launches. And, you know, none of it's all that sexy. Um, When it comes to making the important interesting, there's actually two parts of it. First of all, it's the important part that we have to get to. What are we writing about? Is what we're doing important enough to take our time and take our creative juice and everything else? If it's not, then why are we doing it? And that's about strategic communication, linking everything we do to strategic goals, you know, of course, we're going to have housekeeping stuff, you know, that we have to get out. But we, we, should get, we should get through that very quickly. Shouldn't take a lot of time. For that kind of stuff, I love the model, what, so what, now what? You know, for the stuff, IT outage, HR announcement, uh, blood raffle, whatever, what do, you want, what do you want people to know is what, so what, why should they care, and now what, what do you want them to do? Just use that formula. It works. Get it out, push it out. But for the important stuff, I always tell people, Katie, I try to get my clients to put stuff in one of three buckets, pass, publish, or promote. Pass is the stuff we should stop doing, where we have to say no, and we just, it doesn't work. Nobody reads it. We've been doing it for 50 years at this company, and that's the only reason we're still doing it. You stop it. You know, it's, we're, not, you know we're not there to be everybody's private publisher. So we, that's the pass bucket. But once you fill that up, you have more time for the other two. The publish bucket is stuff that we have to do that's, you know, housekeeping for lack of a better word, just day-to-day grind communications. That's what, so what, not what. So it's pass, publish, and promote is the third bucket. And promote is the important stuff, turning employees into ambassadors, raising their literacy levels on important things like finances, driving employee engagement, making sure they understand the company's goals. So if we spend most of our time on the important stuff, then it's up to make that important. That's where the creative part comes in. So the, the important part is the strategic part. Making the important interesting is the creative part. And I think that's where we earn our money. That's where we earn our money. And that is we've got to bring really dull subjects to life. And you know, the best way I can think about doing that is, is writing about people. Writing about people. People are interesting. Corporations, companies, nonprofits, they are filled with interesting people. And there are stories all over the place that we can use. I just attended a storytelling uh, webinar, and uh, Hinky is his last name, H-I-N-K-E. I forget his first name. I don't want to steal his stuff, so I want to make sure he gets credit. But he said something very cool, and he said, there's three types of stories in every organization. We, me, and us. Or me, we, and us. Me is the individual story of achievement and accomplishment and failure sometimes. We is the team, team stories, team success, teams working together. And us is the company-wide stories which might be mission, vision, values, or company direction, company steep. Those stories are all over the place. And that's how you make the important interesting. You write about important topics, but you focus on the people 
about those topics. You and the people closest to the work, preferably. And I think that's that's the way to do it. What I love about the the past publish and promote model as well is that you could almost use that exact phraseology when you're discussing your role with your senior stakeholders. Because you can say, look, this is how I'm going to evaluate what you're going to come to me with. So you don't, you're not promising the world and to publish everything. You're going to say, I am going to filter this and I'm going to make a judgment call. And this is how I'm going to do it. And these are my three buckets. That's perfect. That's exactly right. And I, that's, what, that would, that's what I mean when I say stand up for yourself. I'm going to filter this. I'm not going to be all things to all people. I don't have time. And you say, if you want me to do this, then I can't do this. And <laughs> what would you rather have me doing? And uh, that's pretty powerful when, when the stakeholders hear that. I'm wondering about content and content creation. I believe you have four C's. I don't know if we've got time to talk about all of the C's, but I know that listeners love really handy, practical guidance and tips. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your your rules for creating content. Yeah, well, I, I have that. I have I have two rules basically. One is one is the four C's, which I've been teaching for years, and something that I came up with because it just is a simple way to think about things to keep you on track for great content to, you know, cause you know, communicators develop bad habits, even great communicators fall into ruts. We get beaten down by the approval process. We get beaten down by our stakeholders. We were constantly pressed for time. So we, we, you know, check a box, take the easy way out. So, you know, you, we need something to kind of keep us on the right path whenever possible. And for me, it's the four C's. The first C is creative. Whenever possible, we have to, that's making the important interesting. Taking a creative way, whether it's, you know, doing a, a gamification instead of a regular article, whether it's doing a, a TikTok video instead of, you know, something else. So it's, you know, what's the, I mean, people are not paying attention to the corporate communication anymore. They're too busy. They're too young. And my 21-year-old son, he interned for us last year and we took him on an audit. We went out to Nebraska Medicine in Omaha. And we looked at all their vehicles and he said, yeah, they're, they're mostly using uh, email in this thing called an intranet, which is like a website, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, nobody my age is reading emails and nobody my age goes to websites. <laughs> so, so what are they doing to the younger workers? So we've got to get more creative with what we do. We've got to hook them. Then we've got to be, the third, second C is compelling. We've got to find some compelling hook. We've got to sell the benefits. Why should they care? People's attention spans are an inch big this day, these days. And it's flooded with good stuff. You know, they, they have a lot of options. Why would they read our stuff on safety? Why would they read our stuff on a corporate initiative? We have to make it compelling. Three, the third C is conversational. We've got to strip out the jargon, strip out the corporate speak. I tell my executives all the time when, when they're writing poorly, which they often do, they're trying to optimize, and they're leveraging, and they're implementing, and they're shifting core competencies, and they're shifting paradigms, and they're using all these words that nobody ever uses in the real world. I say, hey, buddy, use your weekend words. <laughs> use the words you use on the weekend when you're at the golf course or the poker club or the wherever you do on the weekends. Use the weekend words without the swearing. That's it, without the cussing. And they, they, you know, their scale sometimes comes off their eyes, Katie. They're like, oh my God, yeah, I can. I don't have to say optimize. I don't have to say leverage. I just say use. I don't have to say utilize. I can say use. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, use the weekend words. No executive would ever go home and say to his wife, honey. As we shift from the eating area to the sleeping area, we need to look at your core competencies <laughs> and let, maybe shift a few paradigms because I've got some low-hanging fruit issues. And if we're going to be a world-class family, we need to copulate more frequently on a regular cadence. <laughs> um, 
No, they say, hey, hey, hey honey, you want to? It's been like nine months. Um, you know, talk the way you talk to your wife, your kids, your friends. Um, so that's the third C is conversational. And the fourth one is maybe the most important one, concise. Nobody has a lot of time for what we're doing. Now, does that mean you can't be creative? You can be concise and creative. Infographics, short videos. You know, I, I know a lot of my clients, they, they do these wonderfully creative videos, but they're four minutes long. And I tell them, you might as well ask people to watch Gone with the Wind. Um, nobody's going to watch a corporate video. I don't care how good it is for four minutes. So to me, though, we got to be creative to hook them because they're moving through our content so quickly. You know, we got to get their attention. we got to be creative. Compelling so they see the benefits to them. Conversational so they don't get confused and lost and see a jargon. And they actually relate to what the person's saying and the writing. And then we got to be concise. Meaning, and if people say, what does that mean, Steve? How long can an online article be? And I say as short as humanly possible without leaving anything important out. You know, get rid of all the jargon, all the excess words, all the crap, all the corporate garbage. And whatever's left, whatever it is, it is. It can be 400 words. It can be 300 words. You're not going to be able to do all four all the time. Sometimes you're just going to, you know, have to crank something out. You're not going to be creative. That's fine. That's in that middle bucket. But when you're doing the big work, you should try to apply the four C's. Can you tell us a little bit about six-word stories? You and I have a, a, a favourite one. I think we've both, we both know the Hemingway one, which is something like for sale, baby shoes never worn. That's it. That's it. Yeah, which tells you every, everything you need to know in that one sad story in six words. But I believe you've actually deployed six-word stories as an initiative inside organisations. Is oh, that yeah. right? Well, it's one of our favourite things to do with our clients and, you know, I can't take credit for the idea. I was at a conference, an IBC conference, I think it was. And a guy was there from a company called Stantec. And he gave a presentation on how he did this at his company. And he did a contest. And he said, I write, write six words, six-word story. And he showed him the Hemingway story. He goes about our culture, about your work, about your coworkers, about a project you worked on, you know, something. He said, the only rule is it can't be negative. You can't say, Stantec sucks so bad, hate it. Now, it's got to be something positive, Right. Um, he ended up getting over 1,500, I think, six-word stories. It went on. They, they did, created a special site on the intranet where everyone's picture was there. And if you click on their picture, everybody else grayed out, and you saw their six-word story. And the winner of the contest was, if I can remember correctly, oh, needed a job, found a home. So then they turned this into conference walls. Like they, they, so whenever you sit in a conference wall there, you see all these, these great six words. I mean, talk about employee engagement, building culture, showing pride in the work, showing employees what other employees are doing. Then they took it external and made it a recruiting tool. So I thought this is, this, this is something every company could do. So we've taken into so many companies, including Bayer. Bayer was going through a merger with Monsanto. And, you know, I've worked with Bayer for years and years. I love those guys. They did a great six-word story contest about the merger and about the culture of Bayer. And they got a whole bunch of things in it. They put it up on a wall on the internet. And everybody was going there and commenting and all this great stuff. Then she went back to them, to the best six-word stories, and said, you know what? Can you expand on that a little bit and make it into like a two- or three-paragraph blog? And then she turned it into an external blog, Bayerscapes. So you've got employees, Bayer employees out there externally facing to customers, employees, potential hirees, talking about the Bayer culture uh, in their own words. I just thought that was a brilliant example of how modern day communication should work, <laughs> should be very you know, participatory, should be user generated, should be a, you know, all the good trends that we have these days uh, went into play in there. And we've, I've probably 
myself have done six word stories for clients probably a dozen times. But more importantly, I've had more than 100 people do it after being in my seminars and I teach it. And they've all come back to me and said, rousing success. Employees loved it. So I just think it's such a cool thing to do. And you can do it around a certain topic. For instance, we one of our clients was Ibsen. Uh, it's a pharmaceutical company. And they launched a new vision. And the, the head guy was going to roll out the vision with about an hour and a half long town hall, 85 PowerPoint slides, you know, the, the normal corporate garbage. And they brought us in and we convinced them to, to do one slide, <laughs> put the vision on a slide, two slides. And then the next slide was his six word story. And then they, they took 15 minutes in the live town hall for people to write their own. And he goes, what if nobody writes anything? I said, it's not going to happen. It's a different generation. Now. It's a different age. People want to contribute. Well, sure enough, people stood up. They gave their six-word stories. It was emotional, and they were going through some change at the time, and you know, it was just really emotional. They ended up doing these beautiful posters of actual employees with six-word stories, putting them up all over the place. I mean, there, and it was just about the vision. Well, there are so many uses you can do this with. That's just a great tactic. It's such a low ask in some ways. You know, you've just got to come up with six words. But it goes back to your conciseness because if you have only got to choose six words, you really, really think about them and you really think about how you convey meaning in just six words. So I, I absolutely love it and I can't wait to do it at AB. Good. Very good, very good. <laughs> so this brings us to how you actually get employees to step forward. And I think we've kind of addressed this slightly because you said, you know, you've got to go through the layers with people. First of all, they don't want to know because they're like, don't put me in the spotlight. Uh, or it was a team effort or what are you going to... A team effort. That's a big one. No, team, 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 team. Is there a tactic that you use for kind of really getting people to to open up? Or is, uh, you know, is it that sort of being with them and, and, and spending time with them? I, I think that's a big part of it, Katie. But I also think the good news is that it's getting easier. I mean, when I first started doing this, nobody wanted to talk. Nobody wanted to sh- shed light on themselves. Nobody wanted to seem to be taking credit for anything. So I think, I think the big thing is, well, first of all, they're more willing to talk now. People, it's these six-word story contests. You know, I think 10 years ago, you would have got two submissions. I mean, people just, that's how it was back then. Nowadays, I think largely driven by social media. But in social media, they're used to contributing. They comment. They don't just read a post on Facebook. They read it and they comment and they react to the comment. And, and so they're just used to participating more in the communication process. So that part's gotten much easier. And the other part, is, as you said, spend some time with them. Let them know this is not about this is about a team effort. But, you know, we want teams are made up of individuals. We're going to be talking to a lot of employees, not just you. We're going to be featuring employees closest to the work. What you do is important. You've got great stories. You have a lot to teach other people about, you know, the work that you do. And, you know, it's just a matter of making them comfortable and getting them talking. One of the things I I teach in my seminars is we we do at all costs avoid the four P's, which are products, programs, policies, and procedures. That's what we write about in the corporate world, right? Well, all four are deadly dull. They're all dull. We don't want to write about a corporate program like wellness. We want to write about how that program has helped people. The fifth P. The four P's suck. The fifth P is what we want to write about. A, a corporate initiative is a program. We don't want to write about that. We want to write about the people that are making it happen. So when I go to interview people, it's much easier if they're seeing people scattered throughout all the content you've already created. So once you get on that trend, once you start writing, I did this with Rockwell Collins. They were writing about all sorts of products and programs. That was all the content. I said, start every story with a person. 
So they went from writing about a product to the person that created the product or the person that benefited from the product. They're writing about Cybersecurity Month, which is a program of some sort. Instead of saying October is Cybersecurity Month, they would start with Brittany Bittenhoven, that's her actual name, arrives to work every day knowing this could be the day she saves the company from a cybersecurity threat. We talked about Brittany's job. And then at the end, we say, by the way, this is October's uh, Cybersecurity Month. So I think once people get used to that kind of communication and they start seeing people instead of programs, processes, policies, um, I think it's much easier to get them to open up. So we touched on this a little bit about I see people stepping up to the plate more, becoming those strategic advisors and growing in confidence. I think I heard this right. You tell a story about meeting the chief executive of WestJet, the uh, Canadian airline, and his comment to you about his comms team. Now, I don't know if this means anything to you, Steve. <laughs> um, do you remember that story? Oh, yeah, I went very, very, very well. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure if it was the only I'm not sure if it was WestJet or another major airline. But I remember very clearly being in the CEO's office, and I said, doing an executive interview as part of one of our audits, and I said, um, what do you want from your communications department? What do you want from them? And I'll never forget this. He said, Steve, I'm tired of them coming in here and saying, what do you want me to do? I want them to come in here and say, I understand what you're trying to do from a strategic point of view to make this company succeed. Here's how communication can help you make that happen. In other words, I understand the goals. I understand the quarterly goals, the yearly goals, whatever they are. I understand what we're trying to do. Here's how employee communications can make that happen. By getting employees invested in it, but you know, all, there's a whole list of things we could do. Here's how we're going to make, help make that happen for you. He said, that's what I want. I don't want, you know, Tinkos. I don't want someone to come in and say, what do you want? Okay, I want a PowerPoint. I'll give it to you. You want a press release? I'll give it to you. You want a story for the internet? Okay, we'll do it. Here, I'll send an email for you. I want people sitting back and saying, what are we trying to accomplish as an organization? Here's what communications can do to make it happen. And then, you know what? Once you develop that mindset, then you are a counselor. You're not a private publisher. And then it's easier to say no to people. It's easier to push back. You know, one of the biggest mistakes I think we make uh, in, in employee communications is we, we write for the approver and not the reader. You know, we get so beaten down by the approval process that we end up just saying, okay, I know that she's going to want this. She's going to want to talk about blah, 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 blah. So I'll put that at the top. And then down here, I'll, I'll make it compelling for the reader. Well, once you're a counselor and once you have that confidence, you know, and, and leadership has that confidence in you, it's a whole different ballgame. At that point, you, you know, you can say it's easier to say no to people. It's easier to put people in the past bucket because you're, you're creating content with the end user in mind and not the approver. And when you do that, it's a game changer because you know what? We fight the wrong two battles, Katie. We fight the battle to make a deadline and we're always on deadline. So we rush things and we fight the battle to make create something that makes it through the approval process. And we win those battles most of the time. And who cares? Because nobody read it. Who cares if you win the first two battles if, if, if nobody read it? And that's I always try to get people to fight the only battle that matters. And that's for people's attention. Um, and that's what I think we need to get to. And that's what being a counselor is all about. And you know what? A lot of it is speaking truth to power. As a consultant, half my job is telling people that their baby's ugly. You know, your baby's ugly. You know, your, your corporate mission, vision, values stink. Um, they're generic. They don't mean anything. Nobody's paying attention to them. Or your CEO column or your CEO video is, you know, your 15-minute CEO video is awful. It looks like a hostage video. It looks like you're talking into a camera and reading a script and somebody's standing behind you with a machete. I got to go in there and tell them that as a consultant. I wish more employee communicators would have that confidence and 
to view themselves as consultants and say, listen, today's going to be kind of a hard day. i got to go tell the VP of finance that his last 24-minute video uh, on the quarterly earnings is a, a really, really ugly baby. And nobody's going to listen to it. And nobody's going to watch it. And he, it's just, it's hard. It's, it's not easy. I'm not saying this, any of this is easy. But once you accomplish it, it's so rewarding. It's so right when you can actually speak truth to power and make a difference. I suppose one of the ways that you can help yourself in doing that, you can arm yourself with data and insight. So I guess you can say, look, I, I, I assumed this, but I didn't know it for sure. And then I looked at the stats or then I went and asked people, or we've done some qualitative research, quantitative research, whatever it is. And there's the data just doesn't lie. People are not watching it or they're watching the first 30 seconds and they're switching off. Um, I guess that can help enormously. In those Absolutely. Companies. That's that's the other half of our company. My wife, Cindy, who's the brains of the outfit. She was a marketer for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. She came, I had the company going for about eight years, and then she came out and joined me. And she brought all that with her, all the measurement, the research, because that's what marketers do. And she couldn't believe how many internal communicators were never doing this stuff. They were just communicating in a vacuum. And her big, you know, she teaches measurement seminars all over the world. And her big line is, you never want to go into an executive's office and say, I think we should, dot, dot, dot. You always want to go in there and say, the data is showing that we have to, dot, dot, dot. So you are right on the money, Katie. The best way to convince somebody to do something differently is to executives pay attention to data. They don't really care that much. Not that they don't respect your opinion, but they have their own opinion and they have their own ego. So why should your opinion matter the more my opinion? My opinion is people want to hear from me for 20 minutes on a video. Well, the data is showing, sir, that they don't. <laughs> so here you go. I'm not saying your baby's ugly. The data is showing that your baby's ugly. And that's a that's a makes life a lot easier when you can do that work and get that data. So so turning to COVID, I'm, I'm from what you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, now then potentially is the time, I guess, for communicators not to wait to see, you know, what COVID is gonna mean for communications, for internal communications, but actually to be one step ahead of that and think, right, okay, what's the data showing us right now? How are people feeling? Let's go and find out. And let's put a plan in front of our senior executives, not just say, what do you want me to do next? Where do you think all this is going? Now is a great time, I'm guessing, where we are in the world to actually start formulating a plan, at least for the next six months, potentially 12. This is going to be with us for a while, we're all assuming. Katie? To the barricades. Now's the time. It's time, it's time to fight now. This is the, the, the Edelman Trust Barometer just came out. And uh, employers led everybody else in how people wanted to get their information. By 61%, we beat social media, we beat regular media, we beat healthcare websites, we beat everybody. They want information from their employer. So this is a time, and I, you know, it's always hard for me to talk about this. I've been sitting on a lot of panels about this. It's hard because you never want to seem like COVID's a great opportunity for us. It sounds horrible. People are dying. But the fact of the matter is COVID is a great opportunity for communications. We are being treated differently. We are being taken more seriously. At leadership, the two things I've seen come out of COVID, and we're doing four audits virtually during this crisis. So I've talked to dozens of leaders. Cindy's done dozens of focus groups. So we're getting both perspectives, employees and leaders. The two things I've seen come out of it is that leadership is being a lot more casual and formal. They're dropping in on Zoom happy hours. They're doing TikTok videos with their daughters. Uh, I'm doing executive interviews and the, the leaders are you know, sitting there in running clothes. They, they got a baby on their lap. I mean, it, things have just gotten so less formal. And all the leaders I'm talking to say, I like it this way. 
this is good for me. I like being a human being. This is good. So that's not going to change. I don't think we're going to go back to the stiff, formal, top-down communication. The other thing we're getting out of it is that these leaders are really valuing employee communications, but they want their communicators to step up. They want them, and, and, and they are. I know people who are doing all sorts of great things with COVID um, that are really taking advantage of it. A, a client of ours, Paul Bothley, in Nebraska Medicine, was doing weekly town halls that he was emceeing with the CEO and guest, guest speakers. He was getting 1,500 people plus on a weekly Zoom call. 1,500 people. Uh, and it was kind of his idea to step these up and do this. Um, you know, I know people that have launched daily newsletters up around it. They've launched stuff in Teams about it. They've, one of my clients did a, does a Teams water cooler where anybody can go there into Teams and ask questions and, and she, get, she directs the answers. You know, people want information right now more than ever. They want to see their leaders more than ever, uh, and, which means communications matters more than ever. So people always ask me, what does this mean? What does COVID mean to employee communications? One of two things. Either we are going to rise like we never have before, which I'm hoping, or we're going to become irrelevant. Because, I mean, that, that there's just two choices. This is our time to shine, and this is our time to, to really do our best work. A lot of internal communicators I know are working really long hours. They haven't yet been given the budget, I think, that they'd like, or the budgets are being cut because, obviously, the economy is going one way at the moment, and that's not a good way. Uh, some industries have been completely decimated and, and may take a while to come back. But it comes back, I guess, to the point you made earlier about data. If you go in and you say, you know, we can link performance and communications together, um, we know that when people, when they know what's going on and they know how their contribution makes a broader contribution to the performance of the organization, they're more productive. If, if you can help your senior leaders make all those connections, as well as saying, yeah, we've got this vision, but you know what? No one really understands it or it's all written in the wrong language. Or no one's brought it to life. They're only remembering it because it's written on the back of their lanyards. Those are the kinds of conversations we need to be starting to have right now, really. You know, by the way, they don't know it because it's written on the back of their lanyards. We, I've been a focus room, like, what's the mission and vision? Goes? They always, they always got to turn it around and read it. And sometimes there's a poster right on the wall next to them. They're right in front of them. And they still don't know it. So, yeah, you're right. But here's the thing, you know, mission, vision, values is incredibly important if it's done properly. If it's driven into the DNA of the organization, it's really important. And the companies that get that right, the communications people are usually a big part of it. And the other part of the COVID thing, Katie, is I think the executives are starting to realize, and some of them have always realized it, uh, the smart ones, the importance of the culture of the organization, the importance of the culture, how people feel about working there, the pride they have in working there, what kind of culture do we have? They sort of appreciate it a little bit in the past. Now, because we've lost the ecosystem of everyone coming together every day, that's gone. So how do we maintain that culture? And that feel of, you know, a common purpose when everybody's sitting at home. So the smart communicators out there are doing the Zoom happy hours. They're doing the, the one, one person um, does a regular feature in a weekly newsletter now where she takes photos or videos of everybody's workspace at home where they're all doing all their Zoom calls and puts it around and people comment on it. And they're seeing these people in their own natural habitats. And it's helping to build the culture and not build it. It's helping to maintain it and in some cases actually build a new culture. And that's where communications can really, really do some great work is in either building and or maintaining a culture when nobody's coming into work anymore. 
But it comes back to what you said earlier also. It's a great opportunity to be creative. I always say to my guys, oh dear, the client hasn't given us much budget. Unfortunately, you're going to have to be really creative now because we can't throw money at it. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that's true, isn't it? Of these situations where, you know, if we can't all get together and it can't be an in-person meeting and we can't do the three-day conference and we can't do all the things we did before, it's going to have to be virtually in some way fantastic. We just have to think more creatively about how we can bring that culture to life and bring the dialogue with all the spontaneity and all that social feeling and community to life in a different way, I guess. Absolutely. And you know what, as, as, as consultants, we, we have to do that. But as, as you know, the people in the house, people that, you know, the employed uh, communicators, um, you know, they're, they're always worried about deadline. They're always on a grind. And COVID has only increased that. These people are scrambling. They're, on, they're a hamster on a wheel. They've got to find time, whether that means doing less, doing it better, whatever that might be. They have to find time to, to be creative. They have to find time to do those sort that sort of work. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Um, they're not getting paid per project like, like I do. Um, they're getting paid a salary, and they're being asked to do more and more and more and more for that same salary. And they're at home with their kids, and they're trying to figure out schooling, and they're trying to figure out everything else and trying to make dinner and lunch and everything else. So they're, they're really they're burned out. I just want to really push them that this is a time to carve out the time, uh, do something to make sure that you are, like you said, being proactive, to use the bad corporate word, about how they can help the company get through this time. Building the culture, getting information out to people, answering people's questions, make sure they're being creative. And whether that means setting up a special team site or doing a town hall or having a happy hour and inviting executives in, or I know people that are doing team coffee chats with an executive every, every other day. You know, find ways to do that now and it will be remembered later. So I wanted to get your take on something. We've touched on it a little bit with the Edelman Trust Barometer saying that now it's employees that are most trusted. And when you look at who should be a spokesperson for an organization, you know, the CEO is way down on the list and people want to hear from the company technical expert. They want to hear from the regular employees. These are the people that they trust. So, and it just struck me, you know, Edelman, big PR firm, I didn't expect them to be basically saying internal comms, you know, step forward, which was wonderful to see that. Um, And so we're all sort of talking about this war between internal and external blurring or crumbling. Do, Do you think we'll get to a stage where we'll all just call ourselves communicators? Or are you of the, a slightly different camp where you'd say, it's good that the wall is transparent or crumbling or at least permeable, but employees are a discreet and special audience and should always be thought of in that way. Where, where do you stand on that? Permeable is an excellent word. That, that's a great word. I do think the wall is permeable. I think it's blurring and maybe even crumbling. However, I'm of the second camp, without a doubt, without a doubt. I, I do see people coming together. But internal comms is a special animal. It is a special thing that absolutely... Now, does that mean internal comms can't sit with marketing and PR and all be part of the same content-based organization? Sure. When it's time to do the messaging, when it's time to do the campaigns, the internal side needs special attention. It needs people who understand that are out there talking to employees. I mean, the external world is different. Now, that said, I think one of the biggest trends I do see is this coming together. Um, where they're taking internal and marketing and PR and they're bringing everybody in together and we're all sitting at like a big news desk, like a magazine news desk, and we're all talking about content. Okay, what about this content? This content? Okay, well, that content's just internal. We'll get to the internal team. That content has an internal 
component and an external component. So work together on that one. Make sure the messages is aligned and then go off and do your own thing to your own audience. I think that's where we're headed. I think there's always going to be a room for internal, you know, IC specialists always. Well, there better be anyway or else companies are going to be in trouble. But I do believe there's going to be a lot more collaboration with external people, especially because employee people, employees are becoming spokespeople. So let's say you've got a thing. You go, okay, well, externally, we're going to do this. But you know what? We need to educate the people internally so that they can go out there on social media and talk about it. So I think there's going to be a lot more collaboration like that as employees become more brand ambassadors, as they become more active out there talking about the company. There will be more. There should be more collaboration. But we need to retain our identity. I mean, that would be my advice to any company in the world. Bring them together, collaborate, align the messages, but make sure that your internal team does internal communications. Uh, Is there a particular trend or change that you've seen recently that's sort of piqued your interest that you're you're thinking about or deliberating on? Is Is there something we should be paying attention to? It's this whole notion that leaders, and I've done during these four audits. The audits were with, by the way, a major healthcare company, a major technology company, a major university, and a a manufacturing company. I just got lucky that right during the COVID, I got all four sectors. (laughs) Uh, And government, too. And so I've interviewed leaders in all those sectors. And they all said the same thing. They all said, this COVID has changed my whole opinion about communications, about how we need to communicate. We need to be less formal, more conversational, more interactive. I'm seeing employees as human beings. I'm, 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 I'm having Zoom calls. I'm seeing where they live. We're not going back from that, I don't think. To me, that's so exciting because I've always, the the most fun I've had is being a talent scout for leadership communications. When I do leadership interviews, which I do them all the time, I'm always thinking, hmm, could she be a good podcast person? Could he be great for a short video blog? Could he be great like in a a, a live thing over here? That person should never see the light of day. We need to put him in a basement and keep him in a basement because there's something wrong with that guy. so it's nice to be able to do this now. And now we're going to have more receptive leaders who say, yeah, I'll, I'll try a video blog. And I just talked to a lot of them during this, this crisis. And I got, we need to try other things. Obviously, you know, I need to connect to my employees. You think a video blog would work? I had one of our clients who was doing four-minute CEO videos. I got him down to 45 seconds. I got him out of a suit into his backyard wearing a mask in one video. You know, it's just, I mean, he did that on his own. But my advice to him was, he showed me three videos. The first two were long. Second one, was, third one was short. I said, go with the short one. <laughs> go with the short one. And so he kind of came to that on his own. I've had other leaders, though, where I've actually coached them. Shorten the video, be more informal. Take off your tie. Have a kid on your lap, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, not a, not a prop. You know, don't put a, you know, a fake baby there. But, you know, if it's, if it's natural, do it. Be human. And that's a trend that I am in love with because that's what employees want. They want to have human people, transparent people, Regular people using their weekend words, talking to them about the business as adults. So that's one. I love it. And it's the A word that I don't want to use because it's another one of your corporate buzzwords, but I'm going to have to, which is authenticity. We've been talking about that, I think, too much, actually, uh, because it has become one of those catch-all phrases. I'm not sure if everyone knows what they really mean. But this has pressed fast forward on people being themselves and turning as themselves. And that has to be a good thing in terms of people feeling like they belong. The other thing I love about what you said is that it also suggests that there's a medium for everyone. I had a client come to me the other day and said, I've got this great chief executive. He's, He's really personable. When you get him in a conversation, his eyes light up and he's very informal. 
put him in front of a camera and he just goes stiff. I was like, well, you know, forget about it. Don't, don't put a camera in front of him. Get him on a podcast and have a conversation with him. Get it unscripted. You know, there's, there's a way of tapping into everyone. You've just got to find the right kind of the right, as you said about Hook, it is finding the avenue into them sort of being themselves really and getting comfortable with that. Absolutely. You are so right, Katie. Is it, I mean, you give me the nerdiest CFO, an accountant, the biggest bedwetter, nerdiest guy you've ever met in your life. And I can find an avenue for him to be human being and conversational. It might be a podcast. It might be something written that I help him with. I might ask him to to talk into a tape recorder and and I'll, and then we'll write it out. There, There are ways of getting the most you know, introverted executives, of which there are many, and there are also many great ones, finding the right channel and outlet for each executive to talk is, is a huge challenge, and I love it. I, that's my, one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, I, or the prop. I remember one, one leader who said, oh, they don't like me, they don't understand me, and they don't know what I do all day, which I thought was, well, that's not a surprise. I said, do you know what? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to junk this PowerPoint. You're going to put your diary up on the screen. And you're going to walk people through where, who you visit and what you go to talk about and why you're there. And I was like, oh, am I? <laughs> like, yep, you are. And it worked. It absolutely worked. And it was real. That was the other thing that was good about it. Hey, that is brilliant. I'll be sealing that. Thank you. <laughs> so I'd love to ask you these quick fire questions, Steve, if I may. The first one is, what would most surprise people about Steve Crescenzo? Probably, given my physique, that I don't like beer. I can't stand beer. Um, that might surprise some people. Um, also, that I'm from the south side of Chicago, which is a very rough and tumble type place. That would probably, actually, they would believe that. Um, what else would surprise people about me is that um, that I'm I'm super nice because when I, when I speak, I I, I kind of can be um, I'm pretty brutal about making fun of bad communications. And people think, wow, he's kind of caustic. He's kind of mean in a way. And I'm just like a big teddy bear. I'm just so nice. I just want to make communications better, Katie. I just want everyone to do it right. That's all I want. Just do it right. And I won't make fun of you anymore. <laughs> I love the passion. It's fantastic. So a difficult one. What one book, journal, or website should all communicators read? Well, my first answer would be The Elements of Style by Strunk and White. E.B. White was the great author, you know, Charlotte's Web, and but he's also a great, people know he's a great essayist for The New Yorker, one of the best writers ever. And him and his college professor, William Strunk, wrote a book. It's about, you know, about half an inch thick. You can read it in a night. And it's just, it just it's all about the basics of good writing. Uh, so I, th- I think that's, if there was one book, I would say that. A second book, if you're, if you're a writer, would be Stephen King on writing, believe it or not. I'm not a huge Stephen King fan. I love some of his books, but his book on writing, if you're a writer, is so inspirational and so helpful. I, I was blown away by, by that book. So one would be more about day-to-day writing, and one would be more about being inspired to be a writer, what it means to be a writer, and also tons of writing tips in there as well. Website-wise, I would say you have to go to, there's this one called uh, crescensocon.com. But, um, you know, my, it's, it sounds a lot like my name, C-R-E-S-C-E-N-Z-O-C-O-M-M.com. A lot of fun stuff there. Um, I, I was drawn up because it reminded me of myself because of my name. And I'm just, that's my website. Sorry. <laughs> we will put the links. <laughs> we will put the links to all of that in the show notes, Steve. Tell us something that you failed at. 
so far in my life, besides being able to stay in shape, which I work so hard at, but I just have a bad metabolism and I eat, eat and drink too much. But on a professional level, I would say it's carving out enough time to write my own stuff. Uh, I would like to be a humor essayist. I would like, and I, you know, I write on Facebook and I have a very a nice following on Facebook and I do all my humor writing out there. I should probably get off Facebook and, and do my own humorous essays and, uh, and publish a book. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, Cindy and I, are very lucky in that we've traveled all over the world for work. And if we go to Prague or we go to Warsaw or we go to Barcelona or we go to, to Florence, you know, for work, we always tack on two or three days, you know, Rio de Janeiro, any, anywhere, everywhere. Uh, we always tack on extra days for tourism. And that would have been such a great, now I've, I've lost that. But every single one of those stops, I should have done some travel writing, some food writing. And instead I would be done with the work and we just go see the city and I wouldn't make any notes. So that's a huge regret of mine, but hopefully this COVID will lift. Business will pick up again. We'll start traveling again. And this time I will take advantage of it. Sounds good. And I look forward to reading it, Steve. What do you wish you had known when you started out? Well, when I started out running my own company uh, about 20 years ago or so, uh, when I left Reagan to go on my own, I wish I knew what a horrific business person I was. I mean, I'm just terrible. I'm a very good writer. I'm an excellent speaker. I'm a really good consultant. I cannot run a business. Uh, I would get calls from clients saying, you know, Steve, it's been like four and a half months. Are you going to send us an invoice? I was like, oh, yeah, forgot about that. I got in trouble with the IRS, the tax people. I, I was just terrible. Thank God for Cindy Crescenzo, my wife. I brought her in originally, or she brought herself in because we were, were dating, uh, to run the business because she's smart. And she got all my affairs in order. We got out of trouble with the IRS. She, In the same time, though, she starts looking at what I'm doing. And she didn't know much about internal comms. She starts looking at the work I'm doing and participating in the work I'm doing, recognizes a big opportunity right there that people are not doing measurement. So she, she became part of the company doing actual work within four months, had her own clients, doing focus group surveys. You know, all sorts of stuff. And now we work together like this. She still runs the business part and she manages me, which is a full-time job. Uh, and yet she's so good at what she does. Yesterday, she conducted three focus groups virtually. I was sitting where I'm sitting now, which is our kitchen area. And she was across in the other room next to me and she's doing virtual focus groups. And she is so good at it. The, the information she's able to pull out of people during these focus groups. I mean, she just establishes an immediate level of trust so the one thing I learned is that I should have brought her in right from the beginning, and I would have, wouldn't have wasted like six or seven or eight years, however long it took. The final question is borrowed from the Tim Ferriss Show. We give you a billboard for millions to see, so a kind of metaphorical billboard, if you like, and you can put a message on it, any message you like. So what are you going to write on that billboard? Kitty, you know, my, my six-word story, we talk about six-word stories, is it's communicators, is do less and do it better. I preach that, I preach that, I preach that. Do less. Don't be everybody's private publisher. Figure out through measurement and metrics what's not working and cut it, cut it, cut it. Kill the sacred cows, do less and do it better. But if I had a billboard about life, I would use that, but I would add two words to it. I think I would say, do less in life and do it better. Oh. We're all so damn busy. We're all trying to do too much. We're all trying to be all things to all people. We all want to grab the brass ring and do this and that and the other thing. You know what? I'm 53 now. And the one thing COVID has taught me being home with just Cindy for the most part is, you know, we were on the road constantly and I loved it. I love the travel. I love the work, but my God, I didn't realize the toll it was taking on just being so busy all the time. 
right now we're doing so much, we're not making as much money, which is a little scary, um, but we're doing so much less, but we're doing it better. And we're living life. We're making great meals every night. We're sitting on our deck playing the guitar and we're, we're enjoying the COVID pandemic. I mean, since either one of us is sick and I don't know anyone who got sick yet, but we're enjoying the downtime, I guess I should say. When it ramps up again, you know, we got to, I'm going to try to remember this and do less in life and do it better and enjoy it more. Uh, that's such wise words. Steve, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed every moment oh, so of it. It's wonderful. Let's do it every week. <laughs> we'll just put that out there to listeners. If you'd like part two, three and four, <laughs> that's right. just let us know. We can bear off communications to talk about food and wine or whatever. Yeah, I was very tempted to ask you about wine because I thought, well, if it's not beer, it might be wine. Wine, wine and martinis. <laughs> oh, oh, there's a place in London, the Duke's Hotel, that's supposed to serve the best martini cocktails in the world. So next time you're in London, Steve. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I'm going to look you up because I think you and I and Cindy would have a blast. We'd have some fun. Katie, I can't appreciate this enough. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor. I'm sorry it took you so long to ask me. <laughs> So that's a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms podcast. To find out more about the books and the other resources that Steve and I mentioned, head over to the show notes at AB's website. That's abcom.co.uk forward slash podcast. And you will find the show notes there, plus all our previous episodes. And while you're on our site, you might like to sign up for our monthly newsletter. It's called I Saw This and Thought of You. It'll give you updates on the show, plus other newsy nuggets from the world of internal comms. Now, if you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a shout out on social media. You might even like to blog about the show. And to help us become more discoverable for other IC pros out there, I'm told the very best way of doing this is to simply rate the show on iTunes. So if you could do that, I'd be incredibly grateful. Now, we have some great guests coming up for you, including Dr. Valerie Young, who is one of the world's leading authorities on imposter syndrome. Now, I spoke at a virtual event recently, and to my astonishment, I didn't realise how many people are suffering with an internal imposter. So I can't wait to bring you that show. It should be really fascinating. So until we meet again, lovely listeners, stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts. Mm -hmm.